there was ever a time in our nation we needed a word from God and need to know the Scripture, the Bible, it would be right now. And so a very testing time, very trying time in our nation. And uh, we believe that God is able to speak to us, speak to uh, the church, the body of Christ, all over this nation today. I believe preachers are speaking the Word of God. Pastors are speaking the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is helping people uh, to come to reality of truth and light. Praise God. So, today we want to look at Deuteronomy 32. We'll begin here in verse 4. It says, He is a rock. Thank God there is a rock. And He is immovable. And uh, one thing that's not going to change is God. He said, I am the Lord, I change not. So God will never change. His word will never change. He's spoken his word. He said, not one jot, one tittle will pass away. Not one word from God will pass away. It'll not return to him void. God declares who he is in his word. And one of the things that he says about himself is he is a rock. Which pictures to us, he's immovable. He's unchangeable. He's not going to change. He's not going to be altered. His word will remain the same. It says his work is perfect. There's a lot of imperfection in this world. Sin has brought all kinds of imperfections. Uh, there's a curse in this earth. Sin has affected the whole human race. But thank God, his work is still perfect. And for all his ways are judgment. There's a lot of injustice in our world. And of course, right now we're in a lot of turmoil in our nation because of injustice. But God is still a God of judgment. God is a God of judgment. You know, if we understand that God is a just God, then we know that justice will be uh, revealed. And it is not always revealed uh, right now, in the moment. But it will be revealed because God is a just God. And justice will be served. And without God's mercy, of course, none of us would stand. But for all his ways are judgment. He's a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. So if God is just, and God is a God of judgment, and God is right, then he being a God of justice... All true justice actually comes from God. And if we're going to have true justice in our world, we're going to have to influence the world with God and His Word. You know, there are absolutes. God's Word is absolute. And God is absolute. And He is unchanging. And his word will remain the same, and he's not going to change it uh, to fit someone else's thinking. He's going to only speak truth, and light comes from that. So he's just and right. He's a God of truth. And the foundation of all justice is in the word of God. And right now, of course, in our nation, a lot of African Americans, and of course in our church... 
the predominant race in our church is African American. So this is uh, this situation that has occurred, the death of George Floyd at the hands of a police officer is very heart-wrenching, heartbreaking for people. And it's an injustice that brings up a lot of memories and a lot of thoughts of past injustices. So with it comes a lot of pain. And, you know, obviously I'm not a black man. I'm a white man. I was born that way, and you were born the way you were, and that's okay. And it's right for us to be who we are. But I can be compassionate. I don't have the same experience that a, a, a black person has had. But I can be compassionate towards someone who's had this type of experience of injustice over and over again. We have 400 years of it. And so... If we're going to change, and we have changed, and I'm thankful for the changes that have occurred because just the fact that this church exists the way it does is absolute proof that we have had major alterations and changes in our world. But we as a church are a minority. In other words, as far as the way churches function in our nation, we're a minority. As far as the mixed races that we are... are uh, enjoying uh, relationships with in our church. It's a minority as far as churches in our nation. But uh, we must continue uh, to grow in this knowledge that God values everyone the same. God loves every human being the same. We're all created in the image of God and in the likeness of God. That's God's original plan that we uh, would be his children and that we would uh, live together and certainly uh, live together in harmony. But injustices such as what we have just seen, and in our day, of course, uh, the, the actual killing uh, of George Floyd uh, under the knee of a police officer is just horrific. And... Uh, in our day, of course, we can see it by video. We can see this. And it's flashed before us again and again. Uh, the injustice. And it's etched in our minds. And should be. And should be something etched in our hearts. It says there has to be a change. And so there's a cry for justice. A lot of people are crying out for justice today that all over our nation, the day before that happened, they weren't thinking much about justice. But it there's something in the heart of humanity that says justice is just right. It's just in us. And it's amazing that so many people that don't believe in, uh, you know, uh, absolutes or there is a penalty. But when you see such as this, 
it comes out of you because it's, it's, it's in your conscience. It's in the conscience of humanity that justice is just right. And there should be a penalty. There should be a payment for sin. And this kind of injustice, I, I of course, have looked at a number of things Dr. Martin Luther King uh, Jr. had quoted. He has amazing quotes, just an amazing uh, picture of love in our history that changed our nation and continues to change our nation. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., just a man of great love and passion. And he stood for justice and right. And he did it in the right way with peaceful protest. He said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. In other words, what affects one eventually is going to affect you. And so what effect, affected George Floyd's life and his family's life is now affecting all of our lives. Eventually it all comes around. So we must stand for justice. Because injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. If we don't stand for it in one place, it'll be another place and another place and another place. And injustices will be everywhere. And they are. Truthfully, because we live in a society that not everybody loves God, loves Jesus, and loves one another. So there are injustices. But such as this has turned our minds and our attention on what is right. What is, do we have any sense of justice? Obviously, that man didn't have any sense of justice. He said, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, The time is always right to do what is right. The time is always right to do what is right. In other words, speak up. Say something. See something, say something. We've been hearing it over and over again for years. See something, say something. Add another little phrase and do something. Like those three other police officers should have did something. See something, say something, and do something. People all around were saying something, but they couldn't do anything because he's a police officer. But those other police officers could have done something. Dr. King also said, we must use time creatively in the knowledge that the time is always ripe to do right. The time is always ripe to do right. It's always ripe. Unfortunately, it's at times like this that we finally wake up. People finally get stirred up. But it should be a daily occurrence. In other words, to do what's right because the time is ripe always to do right. 
in the simplest of matters, in the hardest of situations. The time is always ripe to do right, to do what is just, to stand up for righteousness, to stand up for justice, to stand up for others, to speak up on the behalf of others who may be experiencing injustice. And when we do that in the right way, then people around us will figure out it's a different day. It's not going to be the way things were because we speak out and we do so now. In Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, it says, He has shown thee, God has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require thee but to do justly? What does the Lord require of thee? In other words, this is not a suggestion. This is not something we get to say, well, you know, I'm not uh, so sure I have to do that. Well, uh, no one has to obey God. No one uh, is absolutely going to be made to obey God except at one point in the judgment. Then everyone will be made to do something. They will bow their knee to Jesus. And they will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. But while in this earth, God doesn't make people do it. But he does require it. And if we're going to honor him, we're going to do this. We're going to do justly. And while doing justly, we're going to love mercy. And while loving mercy, mercy, we're going to walk humbly with our God. So again, he says, God has shown us to what is good. What is good is to do justly, is to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. If we can mix that up together in the right mix, because God can, God can mix uh, justice and mercy and humility. You can see a mixed bag of those three all the time everywhere. Because a lot of times when people want justice, they're very, uh, very prideful about it. They're not humble about it. And some people, they cry for justice, but they have no mercy. But if you don't show any mercy, you're not going to have any. In other words, what you give is what you're going to receive. These are spiritual laws. They don't go away. But God is a God of justice. A God of judgment. Just and right is He. But He mixes His justice with mercy, and I'm so glad He did. And I'm so glad that I received the mercy of God. So God can help us to mix justice and mercy and humility with the right mix. Maintain humility while you are just in your judgment. And I believe we can do that. Even in our justice system, there's a lot of different judgment because people's perception is that they're not always answerable to God nor His Word. But our justice system originally was based on the principles of God's Word. So we have all kinds of judgment and justice 
or thoughts of justice that are not necessarily justice. So the only way we're going to define real, true justice is have a clear understanding of God's Word. And of course, to have a clear understanding of God's Word, it would be Old and New Testament. Have an understanding of the whole of Scripture so that we can have a clear perception of what justice is and what judgment is and what just is and what right is. There are no, no, in our society, we've taught our kids, I mean, a generation, that there are no absolutes, uh, uh, but uh, it seems like that they cry for it. Why? Because it's in the conscience of human beings. If, if you tell them there's no right or wrong, when they see wrong in their eyes and it's etched in their minds, they know that's wrong. Because your conscience tells you that's wrong. And there should be a result or consequence or penalty for that wrong. Why? Because God made us that way. Even a person that is not born again, doesn't have Jesus Christ in their heart, is not uh, a possessor of eternal life, they still know that there's right and wrong when they see it. But in some cases, people don't really have a sense of justice or judgment because their conscience has been seared. So we want to mix judgment or justice and mercy and certainly want to mix some humility in there, maintain humility. Because if we don't maintain humility, more than likely we will do something foolish ourselves. Certainly we're not suggesting you do something like this, what we're talking about today. But we would do foolish things when we don't maintain humility. Say foolish things. Speak foolishly. Act foolishly. Act out. Now we'll go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 22. And we're going to look at verse 35. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 35. It says, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying. So the lawyer is asking Jesus a question, tempting him and saying. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And this is the first and great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God. Now he's tempting Jesus. He's kind of checking Jesus out. See what Jesus' response is. Jesus has a way of responding wisely in every case. He said, this is the great commandment that you love the Lord your God with all your heart. The beginning of loving people is loving God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And if you go to the uh, book of Deuteronomy, with all your strength. 
In other words, everything within you, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, everything, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and the great commandment. And all my life, my mother, uh, I heard her say, don't be half-hearted. What did she mean by that? She meant just love God with all your heart. Love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. He said, this is a first and the great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. To truly love your neighbor, you got to love God. To truly love your neighbor, you got to love yourself. In other words, you've got to value self in order to value others. People that don't value others don't value themselves. People that don't value other people's lives don't really value themselves. Now, in their mind, they might think they do, but it's not true value. They're, they don't have true value for human life. They don't have true value of their own self because they don't value others. So we love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. And he said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. These two commandments... The whole law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, you take these out, the rest of it falls down. In other words, if you hang some curtains, you had a curtain rod and you have screws with brackets, you can have a nice uh, curtain hanging at the window, but if you took the brackets off, the curtains fall. And so, if we take this loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, we take these things out, then the whole thing falls down. And that's what's wrong with society. Because these two ingredients are not central to our belief system. And if we have these two ingredients then it's going to change a world. And if you notice Dr. King's success in making real change in our nation really had a lot to do with this thing called love. He was a man of love. And he lived it. And the quotes that uh, I give to you, I don't believe were just... Uh, just Nice words he came up with. It was a character that was built in his life and a lifestyle that he had developed, and it came out of that. So we don't want to just speak words. Uh, We want to live life in this kind of way. Now go with me again to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And I'm going to give you a few more quotes from Dr. King. He said, love 
is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. You know, most people are enemies because they choose to be. But love can turn an enemy into a friend. He said, he who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. In other words, unforgiveness hinders us from loving people. He said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. In order for us to uh, walk into this room and enjoy uh, being here as we turn the light on. Well, you can't bring dark, more darkness in the room and put the darkness out. But you can turn the light on and the darkness is driven out. He said, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. There's only one thing that can drive hate out of the human heart, and that's the love of God. Only love can drive hate out of a person's heart or mind. It's hard to fathom. It's hard to fathom in in your mind, really, to even process how that police officer could do what he did and not listen to the people around him, not have any conscience to relieve the pressure. It's like... I don't get it. There's some sickness going on here. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. I've decided, Dr. King said, to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. I've decided to stick with love because hate is too great a burden to bear. Hate never heals the human heart, but love does. Now here in Luke chapter 10, we're going to begin with verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him. The lawyer stood up and tempted him. Another lawyer tempting him. Way with words. Saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? What is written? What what do you believe you should do, in other words? What's written? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. So the lawyer's response is really what Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 22. And he was quoting, of course, from the Old Testament. 
He answered, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy uh, strength, and with all thy mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. You've answered the right answer. But that's not the end of it. You could have the right answer and not do the right thing. You could be taught the word and not be a doer of it. He knew the right answer. He gave the right answer. But verse 29 says, But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So here... What is he doing? He's basically trying to excuse himself. He said, well, who is my neighbor? Self-justification excuses inaction. In other words, it's not really my responsibility. Who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus is going to show him who his neighbor is. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. There was a man that went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, and they stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, abandoned him, leaving him half dead. It's about a 20-mile stretch. And it was a very treacherous road, and it was a road where thieves would commonly attack people and cause harm to them. So it was a common occurrence. So in our nation, we have 400 years of history of African-American oppression and pain that has been caused. So this thing has gone on for a long time. We have thankfully made a lot of progress in our world. When we see things what, like we just saw, it's like so horrendous, so sickening. But we make a lot of progress. But the memory of all of the injustice and all of the uh, pain that has been caused comes up. And so... The only thing that can heal is God. The only thing that can reconcile is God. The only thing that can restore is God and His mercy and His grace and His love. So here this man has been left half dead. He's been stripped and wounded. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So here's a man, wounded, half dead, laying on the side of the road. 
And there's a certain priest that comes along. He just happens to come along. But when he saw him, instead of helping and assisting, he just goes to the other side of the road. So in other words, he ignores the pain. He doesn't do anything about the wounded man. He just carries on his religious duties and goes about life ignoring the pain. Now, we all know that ignoring pain does not make pain go away. If you have dealt with human, human beings very long and know much about uh, the emotional state of humans, pain doesn't just go away because we ignore it. Pain goes away because we acknowledge it. And then, by the grace of God, we're able to heal and be restored. So ignoring the pain does not make it go away. Well, then you got another man that comes along, another religious person. And likewise, a Levite, when he uh, was in the, at that place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Uh, the implication is he came and looked on him. So it sounds like to me, he didn't just see him. He came over there and looked. So he got a little closer to the situation. But he still... Walked away and walked on the other side of the road and didn't do anything about the pain. He didn't help to heal the pain. He didn't help to restore the man. He didn't, uh, he didn't bring hope again to the person. So he did nothing to change it. And I think we've all had enough of life experience in this arena that we talk about it for a few days or weeks, maybe months. But then we just get on about life and we keep going down the same road. But hopefully in this occasion, we'll be like the next person that comes along. Verse 33, but a certain Samarian, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. When he saw him, he had compassion on him. So here we have come from Deuteronomy, where God is a rock, his work is perfect, his ways are judgment, all his ways are judgment. He's a God of truth, without iniquity, just and right is he. To Micah, where there's mercy, love, and mercy, and justice, and humility mixed. So we come from justice or judgment to mercy. We come to this word, Next word that we looked at is love. The love of God, which as Christians is shed abroad in our hearts. Here we come to this compassion because you could have love on the inside and not be moved with compassion. 
But this man, when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. Something stirred up on the inside of him that said, I can't leave him in this state. I can't just walk on the other side of the road and pass by someone who's in pain. Now, I'm very aware that I'm a white man, but I'm also very aware that I'm a white man who pastors African-American people whom I've never, never just overlooked your pain. My heart has always been to heal your pain. No matter who you are, No matter what your race is. But I love you as an African American like I love myself. I care about you like I care about myself. Some of the closest relationships that I have in the world are people. Who are black people. Who have laid down their life for me and whom I have laid down my life for them. And so, as a Christian, as believers in the household of faith, it is a time where we must stand up for what is right. What is right. And the time is ripe to do what is right. And if the opportunity comes, which it will, and it is here, whether it's the simplest matters, when you see injustice against people, that you would speak up, that you would say something now, that you would voice your thoughts now, not in hatred and bitterness and anger, But enough anger that says, I will say something and speak the truth because I believe in justice. I believe in mercy, but I believe in justice. And so here, this good Samaritan, we call him, he didn't just look at him. And walked the other way. He went to him. And he bound up his wounds. Pouring in oil and wine. And set him on his own beast. And brought him to an inn. And took care of him. He bound up his wounds. Now now all wounds are physical. Some wounds are very hidden. To every visible I that is looking on. There are wounds that affect people many times much deeper than physical wounds. There are emotional wounds. I was just, uh, we did a uh, phone conversation and one of the persons that was on the uh, phone conversation was Duana Malone. Duana told us a child, she saw people murdered and killed and cut. You know, as a child, I lived in the projects. I never saw anyone murdered. There was a a young man that was murdered by a group of guys 
about uh, less than a half a block from my house. The park was less than a half a block. They just beat him to death, stomped on his chest, jumped off of the car and just stomped on him until he died. I didn't see it happen. But I saw people that were just crazy out of their mind. Saw drunk men stumbling who had just been beat to a pulp in my own backyard. He lived in a right, you know, nowhere from me. I saw those kinds of things as a kid. I saw people that had no sense. They come out with baseball bats and tire tools. You know, back then, that was what they fought with. They didn't fight as much with guns. They'd just take a tire tool and beat somebody up with it. Take a baseball bat and beat them up. Take a belt and just, you know, with the end of a belt buckle and beat on them. Just crazy. Just lost their mind. But she told stories as a child that she saw people killed in her community. You know, just killing each other. And how it makes scars. So you can't see that physically. You can't see that. You don't see that on her face or in her body. You don't see scars on her body. But that affects your soul. It affects your mind. A child especially. And people carry those things all of their life. And only God can heal and restore. But we have history in our church of people. You know, we have people in our church that are in their uh, late 80s. and We've had people in their 90s. You know, these people have lived through all of the horrendous things. Mistreatment of African Americans. They've lived through all of that. And I've always felt greatly honored that they, because they have lived through all of that and they don't hate me. That they're not bitter toward me. That is amazing grace. Because they've had white people mistreat, abuse, leave them. Hurting in pain again and again and do all kinds of things throughout our history. That's unimaginable to any just man or woman. And yet, they don't hate me. Why is that? Because the love of God is shed abroad in their heart. The love of God is the only thing that's going to heal us. The love of God is the only thing that's going to restore us. The love of God is the only thing that is going to pull us together. The love of God is the only thing that can cause us to really be able to even uh, commune with one another. And at the same time, be real with one another. I want to know your story. I want to know your pain. I want God To help me to know. But that takes conversation. That takes being real. That takes being honest. That takes being open. But this man, he took this person in. 
He didn't just walk the other way. He poured in the oil and the wine, set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and he gave them to the host and said to him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said unto and he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Who is my neighbor? It's not the person that I know very closely and intimately necessarily. Could be your neighbor. It's the person that you may not even know. He took a man that he didn't know. He put him on his own beast. You know, it does... You know, I've had people say things. I've had people say things in, in this foyer, and I've had to speak up to them. Make comments. It's like, how arrogant. About African Americans. How arrogant. Angered me. <laughs> the arrogance of you. To even, even think that you're going to talk that way in here. I mean, not, not anything extreme, but just I see it. I hear it. So, whoa, whoa, no, no, we're not going there. Not here, not anywhere. Thank you, Jesus. But he took this man and he healed him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. It's not just enough to love in word. It's not just enough to love in tongue only, according to 1 John 3. But to love in deed and in truth. That means I love at the house. That means I love in the neighborhood. That means I love at the church. Some people's love, is, love has limitations. Some people's loves, love has certain uh, uh, vicinities. Certain places I walk in love. No, everywhere you walk in love. And so... Dr. Martin Luther King said this, an individual has not started living until he can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. I'm going to read that again because it's a lot. An individual has not started living until he can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns. In other words, just himself, personal. What just affects me.
to the broader concerns of all of humanity. That's the Christian life. Is that we live with the broader concerns of all humanity. He said, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? What did Jesus say to this man? After all of this story that he told, religious priest, a Levite, walking on the other side, avoiding, ignoring the pain, hurt. The good Samaritan who took him in, poured in the oil and the wine and healed, bound up his wounds, brought restoration, wholeness. And what he couldn't do, he said, take care of him. When I be back, when I'm back, I'll take care of the take care of the bill. Making sure that he's taken care of. And so, what are we doing for others? What are we doing about this? What are we going to do? Listen, it's not what we're going to do in the next three weeks. It's what we're going to do for the rest of our life. Because we've seen this come around. Some of it comes around and is never out in the media. And you see it come around without it ever being seen. Some of it is so driven by the media. But it's not just what comes out right now. It's what may come out two weeks from now. What may come out Six months from now, what may come out when nobody would even know that even happened but you and maybe a few, what did you do then? What did you say then? How did you respond then? And so Jesus just said, go and do thou likewise. In other words, let's go heal people. You say, Pastor, I can't heal them. Jesus can. And the healing that you have experienced, you can carry to somebody else. I use Minister Darnell many times as an example. He came to our church. It was a 20 by 60. Oh, probably 20 people there that night. I remember it like it was yesterday. At the end of that message, sharing, Darnell gets saved, gives his life to Jesus. Come out of life of a life of crime. His story is amazing. But he didn't just get saved and healed himself. For years, he's been doing prison ministry and hundreds and thousands of people's lives have been transformed by the gospel. 
the power of the gospel. In other words, with what comforted, comfort you've been comforted, you comfort others. With what healing you've received, you heal others. With what uh, blessing you've experienced, then you go carry it to someone else. You bring help, hope, healing to someone else. Anybody can do this. Anybody can take hope to someone else if they have hope. Anybody that's been healed can heal someone else. So we trust the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will help us to go from here as a church, as a people. And I trust the Holy Spirit can help us to come together in a more close-knit way. And, and really learn out of this. You know, some of the most painful things in life, the most difficult things in life, it's kind of one of those unfortunates we can learn from. We can live in the light and understanding of what we learned from that point on in our life. So I trust God's going to help us to be better. Not bitter, but better. Better at life. Better at loving one another. Better at believing in each other. Better at racial relationships. But that has to be purposeful. Just like a man says, I'm going to be one that gets the man off the side of the road. It's purposeful. I'm going to heal somebody. I don't even know. How are we going to heal people that we don't know if we won't heal each other? How are you going to go to somebody and bring restoration to someone else if we're not willing to come close enough to heal each other. Thank you, Jesus. I trust. Holy Spirit helps us to be better at Christianity. This thing called justice, judgment. God is a God of judgment. This thing called mercy. This thing called humility. This thing called love. This thing called compassion. You know, these elements in our Christianity is essential. These are essential if we're going to be successful at Christianity. I'm not interested, and I think anybody who's been around any length of time, they know that I'm not interested in just religious duty and action. In other words, just going through the motions. I'm interested in preaching the truth of God's Word that impacts people's lives and makes better people out of them. And that their life is different because they do what God's Word says. Thank you.